0: Welcome to the Focus on Christ podcast. I'm Jack. And I'm John.
1: And we're on a mission.
0: To help you focus on Christ. It's amazing how difficult it is just to get this thing started. (laughs) Um,
1: To get focused.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well that... Anyway, I'm thankful for Mike, who's our technical guy, uh, because he gets it done. And Jack and I sit over here and... uh, Well...
1: Bloviate. There you go. (laughs) That means speak many words. (laughs) So,
0: well, we're going to talk about bad theology today. And um, first, I want to read um, a quote that I think really kind of speaks to this. Now, this is attributed to Charles Spurgeon, um, who was a, a... well-respected pastor and has written tons of stuff. You can just look look up Charles Spurgeon and find a bazillion quotes and memes and, and they're all over the place. But he says this, uh, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. Um, and I think that that's you know, a big piece of what we deal with um, in our approach to the Bible. And we see it in ourselves, we see it in churches, we see it in church movements. What do you think?
1: I think I- that some people read the Bible and it, it's more important how they feel about it mm-hmm. than what it says. And uh, if you have a, a doctrinal position, uh, whatever that doctrinal position is. And what some people will tend to do is they will proof-text their doctrine. And so they'll, they'll only read and study the scriptures that agree with, with the way they believe. And they'll sometimes do what I call Bible gymnastics. If it doesn't agree with what their doctrine is, then they'll kind of twist it and they'll proof-text it somewhere else and, and kind of do a number on the, on the Word of God. I think for a lot of us, it's very difficult to just uh, do what I remember some fellow saying years and years ago when I was a kid. Uh, God's word says it; I believe it, and that settles it. And uh, that was kind of his his philosophy of life. The
0: the part that is wrong about that whole statement, because I remember hearing that, and I remember sort of latching on to that a little yeah. bit because there's something attractive about it. But here's the the way I heard that statement was. Uh, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Well, here's the deal. It should be the God said it, that settles it. Because what I believe about it, does that matter? I mean, it might matter in terms of my relationship with God. Sometimes,
1: have you ever changed your belief on certain scripture through the years, and you go, well, wait a minute, maybe I wasn't quite right on that. So we can't trust sometimes the way we right. discern everything. But uh, I think there are some basic truths that are pretty essential that we stay with. And one of the things that I think bothers me is a uh, kind of what I'm seeing in the, some churches today of a movement toward a social gospel. It's what they call it. It's what it's labeled as a social gospel where, um, you know, we agree that, um, Giving somebody a piece of bread who's hungry or a glass of water who's thirsty is a really really good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people who uh, give Jesus a uh, a left discerning belief system in, in his politics, or you know, or, or make him a a social, you know, well, he fed the five thousand, you know, la la la. Jesus came to to uh, preach the kingdom. The kingdom has come, right? Uh, and I'm here to preach the good news to the and and touch the all these people. and And I think that that's a good thing. But I think that we need to stay on the focus of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is essential, uh, in my opinion, uh, of what the message should be, and not not get off of it too much. Um, I'm not going to. Mention this too much, but I see things sometimes on websites and different things. And sometimes I wonder if people reread that and kind of go through the different opinions, different views of it before they, they post it. But, uh, basically the purpose of the church said it was to make disciples. And so when you get here, we will, we will make you reach your highest potential. And get to your fullest position of success, and uh, I went. Oh, that's that's a little off, because I think a disciple of Jesus Christ is to die to themselves, take up your cross and follow Him, uh, all of the disciple things that that's said in the Scripture, and uh, not to be so concerned about my reaching my highest potential in a physical. Earthly, worldly kind of a mm-hmm. setting. And I, when I was pastor of the church, um, I had a, one young lady that I had really pinpointed as a real leader in the church and made her really instrumental in the women's ministry there, even a leader there. And she wound up sending me a text saying that she could not attend this church anymore because she saw three Trump bumper stickers in the parking lot and she was getting tired of the Republican church, and Jesus was um, here to feed the poor and heal the sick and and all those kind of things. And, and I tried to get to her to talk to her, but that wasn't gonna happen. Mm-hmm. She she wouldn't even answer my return email or whatever. So those kinds of things, I think I was told one time, you know, you're on a straight line, straight as the way, and few you there be to find it narrows away. the way. And if you get that off about one degree, you know, it's not too bad, you can't see it too bad, but if you continue in that one degree and keep moving it, when you get way out there, you can be so far from the truth, you don't even know how to get back to it.
0: I think the thing that that we've got to remember when we're talking about like politics, for example, okay?
1: Well, I didn't mean to get into uh, no, No, is, no, no, I, I get know. it.
0: I get it. But here's the thing. If Jesus came to be interested in politics or bring a political solution, well, he would have established himself as king. Herod would have been sure. gone. Caesar would have been gone. He would have just established his throne, which is what
1: they, the, they the Jews had expected. Absolutely.
0: It's what they thought was going to happen. In their mind, Messiah was going to liberate them from the oppression of Rome that, and, that's what they thought was going to happen
1: and made them the, the leaders and the and, and they Archbishop. thought he was going
0: to reestablish the throne of David not in the sense that he did but in the sense that they had imagined which was a physical kingdom I'm setting up the new strategy here's the new politics this is the way we're doing business that's clearly not what Jesus did I mean, the very government that was oppressing them was the government that ordered his crucifixion ultimately. And you now for people to say, oh, he came to overthrow Rome. Well, well, he sure did a terrible job of it. I mean, that wasn't his goal. His goal was, guys, you don't get it. My kingdom is bigger than this. and And for us here, you know, God's not just sovereign here. He's sovereign in North Korea. He's sovereign in Ukraine. He's sovereign in Russia. So, okay, why is all this bad stuff happening? Why is all this craziness? Well, I can tell you why. It's because right now his kingdom here on the earth is spiritual. It's not going to be that way forever. Now, I'm not going to be dogmatic about that statement because I don't know for sure. I just know how I read the scripture and and what, what I think that he's trying to tell me. And that is that one day he's going to set everything right and bring heaven to earth and not just establish a spiritual kingdom, but a physical, eternal kingdom. And yeah, everything will be set right. So why is it all messed up right now? Well, it's messed up right now because of God's mercy. Now, that sounds crazy, but that's exactly what the Apostle Peter said, because he said, basically, God's withholding his wrath. Why?
1: So one more might come in to be saved?
0: Because it's it's his wish that none would perish, but that all would change their way of thinking and come to him. Um, and, and to me, that's, that's really the, the crux of it.
1: Just about everything he said and did kind of shot down that whole concept of an earthly kingdom where he was going to rule and reign and God was going to set a throne up on. I mean, he said uh, about the temple, "In this temple great and beautiful? Oh, listen, I'll tell you, this temple is going to be torn down. There's not going to be one stone on top of another. And uh, that happened 70 years after, mm-hmm. you know, well. his death, resurrection. So, I mean. Uh, it was about what?
0: 70 years after his birth. After anyway. his
1: birth, yeah, something <laughs> like that, yeah. 70 AD, so
0: 35 years after that. I'm I'm not a mathematician. The amazing thing about that moment, okay, right now is not a good time to go visit Israel, okay? But when things are calm for a minute over there um, and you get the chance, you should go see it. It's just good to experience the places where Jesus was physically and the things that he did so that you get a picture in your mind logistically. That's the piece that really got me when I was there because, you know, when we think about distances, we're so used to driving or flying or, you know, getting places quickly. You know, it's like for me to get from down here in Mooresville to downtown Indianapolis is maybe 20, 25 minutes. If I drive, if I walk all day, that's going to be a while. (laughs) And if I'm walking in that kind of country where it's, you know, hills and valleys. Yeah, that's going to be a a good day's journey, you know. Um, And but when Jesus is telling his disciples that they're looking at the temple. They're sitting on the Mount of Olives. It's right there. I mean, you go down the hill, across the valley, up the hill. I mean, it's right there. You're looking at it. And so they are literally looking at the temple when he's telling them that it's going to be destroyed and not one stone's going to be on another. And I'm telling you, it's an impressive sight when you get over there and you see the western wall and you see all the people, you know, praying and sticking their little prayers in between the, and the stones and, touching the wall, you got to touch stuff, you know, to have a connection with God, apparently. Um, They're doing all this stuff. Well, that wall was just a supporting part of the foundation. The temple's gone. There's not even a stone there. So, um, yeah, Jesus was, he was dead on with that. So when he said, I'll tell you the truth, I'm going to, this temple is going to get torn down and rebuilt. Three days, he's talking about the temple about of his body. Yeah. Um, I want to read um, another interesting quote here because, you know, some people want to water the story down and they want to diminish Jesus, okay? Um, and the extreme of that, of course, is denying things like, well, the resurrection. Okay, or or denying that his divinity, or de- denying the the virgin birth, or denying the prophecies that that set it all up, or and, and you just keep going. There's, it's not like one or two things. That no, we got all of these things that that will add up. So um, I read this book years ago, um, written by Christopher Hitchens. He's he's passed on now. Um, and contrary to some of the wild stories that people like to make up, no, he did not have any kind of deathbed confession. Um, and that's one of the things his brother, who has written a book about the faith of Christopher Hitchens, um, actually talks about in that book. So he was an avowed atheist. He actually wrote a thing called the unholy commandments. And it was essentially a a mockery of the 10 commandments. Um, but uh, Christopher Hitchens was being interviewed one time by a uh, Universalist Unitarian pastor, okay, preacher, whatever. And um, they were just talking about faith and theology. And this person said, Well, you know, I don't hold a um, literal view of Scripture, I'm, I'm more of a liberal Christian. And I. For example, don't hold to um, the theology of atonement, you know, that Jesus died for our sins, you know, or that he's like the only way of salvation. And so I'm just going to read you this avowed atheist's response um, to this preacher. Um, I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and Messiah and that he rose again from the dead and by his sacrifice our sins are forgiven, you're really not in any meaningful sense a Christian. That's one of the most famous atheists of our time who— was acknowledging
1: that Jesus was an actual—
0: he knows what it means to be a Christian. He wasn't acknowledging the, his belief. No, no, in no. I that. didn't mean
1: that. No, just the fact. Right. Oh, Christ,
0: yeah. And so the subtleties of how we get off from those truths, that's, that's where the real, to me, the real issue comes. I heard a comment here recently um, <laughs> about the present truth. Um, and there's a whole uh, theology out there that, that, you know, basically they take this the verse that, you know, Jesus called some to be apostles, teachers, pastors, for the equipping of the saints. And they extrapolate that to, oh, well, he's, he's still doing that now. So we still have apostles. We still have prophets. We... I I would take it back several steps and say, okay, how many times does Jesus need to build the foundation for his church? it's like, how many times did you build the foundation for your house, Jack?
1: Yeah, it was only built one time, that I know of.
0: Yeah, you build (laughs) on a foundation. You don't build a new foundation. The present truth, just the, the idea of that word, it's like, okay, did you negate? the past truth? Did, did, did something change? Uh, um, Jesus no longer the only way? Uh, you know, there's just, there's problems I have with those little kinds of things in theology.
1: Yeah. One of those things that happened to me when I was younger was um, that can lead to <coughs> judgmentalism. Um, we're the only ones saved type thing. You know, it can lead to other things as well. I had a a lapel pin years ago. It was a real pretty outline of a dove. And I had mm-hmm. on my suit lapel. Yeah. And we were singing in this church. I can't remember the variety it was. But a fellow came up to me afterwards and he pointed at that dove and he said, does yours mean what mine means? And when he many, many said that, I knew what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, well, this is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And he says, that's right. He says, um, do you speak in tongues? I said, well, I speak in the English tongue, but what you're talking about, I'll just be real easy with you here. No, I haven't been given that particular gift. And he, he says, uh well, that's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't do that, then you may have the Spirit. And then he walked away. <laughs> in other words, he, his theology had moved him in a very quick conversation to where I was lost mm-hmm. and needed salvation. And I think that's pretty damaging, you know, for us to, to get off on a theology that leads us to become, make ourselves the judges. Of all other peoples,
0: it's you know? a Jesus plus theology.
1: Yeah,
0: the Jesus plus theology. Um, we need to accept Christ for who He is. Um, I mean, He He tells His disciples, "Your work is to believe, and not because of anything you've gotten from Me." you need to believe, you know, it really came to a head when, and and we've talked about this, you know, Jesus has done all these miracles. You know, he's, he's fed the 5,000, he's walked on water. um, And, uh, and then it it almost feels like it's a moment of frustration or something because he says to the people, you're only following me because of the stuff I do. You're only following me because I put food in your belly. You're only following me because I healed your grandma, or I healed you, or that's the stuff.
1: The miracles. You're not here for me.
0: And then he says to them, I tell you the truth. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part of me. What in the world does that mean? You know, we talk about the foolishness of God that we talked about last time. It's like, that sounds crazy. Are we cannibals now? No, it's not what he means. What he means is, you got to feast on me. This is not about the stuff I do. I'm doing the stuff so you can see who I am. Okay, so everybody knows the story about the the paralytic and Jesus is in the house preaching. Okay, now here's the deal: when the one he, that gets through, when, right? Through when he's preaching to the the multitude, that like the for the, it the beatitudes, in the house. Yeah. when he preaches for the beatitudes, where's he at? He's out in a big open space, right? Why? So that all these people can hear him. So why is he in this house? I don't know. I, I but I think. He knows what's going on. He understands people. He, he's, he's got his mind on these things. So here's a guy who's like the most popular guy around right now because he's healing all these people. He's doing all this stuff. Why is he preaching in a house? You know, it's like when Billy Graham didn't go set up in a house to preach. No, it's like, hey, we're going to rent out Lucas Oil Stadium. We're going to, we're going to, you know, get this huge place. No, Jesus is preaching in a house. Okay, and the Pharisees are there. Why? Because they're waiting for him to make a mistake. They're waiting for him to do something so they can point the finger and say, oh, look, look, look at what he did. And so now we get to the part where to get their friend to Jesus in their moment of desperation, they tore this roof apart and lowered the guy down. We're going to get you in there, buddy. And so here's this paralytic laying there in front of Jesus. And, you know, when I was a little kid, the the miracle was the healing. Okay. Jesus said the words. That's the easy part. Okay. He says, I tell you the truth. Your sins are forgiven. Well, what's he doing right there? In the Pharisee's mind, it's just like, you know, the high priest tore his robes when he said, you'll see the son of man coming on the clouds. The Pharisees know that right there he's equating himself with God because who has the power to forgive sins? Only God. Only God has the power to forgive sins. And so Jesus, when he says to the paralytic, I tell you the truth, your sins are forgiven, he's saying, I'm God in the flesh, standing right here, right over you. And the Pharisees say it. Who can forgive sins but but God. God? And then Jesus says, Which is easier to do, to forgive someone their sins or to heal them? Well, they don't even know how to answer. And so then what does he say? Hey, I'll tell you another truth. Get up and walk. And the man rises up and walks. The miracle was the forgiveness of sins. He calls the man to rise up and walk to establish that, yeah, I'm that guy you're looking at God in the flesh because who has the power to heal like that?
1: You know, we, the three of us, Mike and John and I, uh, we've attended church for a long time. Uh, We've attended a lot of Bible studies back in the day, probably Sunday school classes and uh, certainly the church service. And uh, it's interesting to me how some people will try to debunk the common teaching of the Word of God. Change words, add words, change meaning of words, things like that. And when you talk about handling the Word of God accurately and correctly and making sure that your doctrine is in order so that you don't get you know too far off from the, from the truth, uh, there's a couple of, of examples that, that I would like to give, just to give people an example of what can be done to the Scriptures and that you have to be very careful Because sometimes the scriptures will say a word that we don't commonly use in our vocabulary today. And it looks like a word. There's one in Colossians, the first chapter. You probably know where I'm going with this. But Colossians, the first chapter, has an amazing passage of scripture about the preeminence of Jesus Christ. About who he is. And I've always used it as a wonderful text when I'm talking to Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or someone that doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, isn't God uh, in the flesh, but that he is, you know, just another Son of God. And so I use this, but they've changed the word, and I'll show you where it is. It says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And that word firstborn, they say, see, he was born, so he can't be God. Well, anybody that does any kind of Rendering of the word itself, any kind of study beneath the surface, who who doesn't normally see that word or use that word would certainly at least look up the definition in a reputable Christian dictionary. (laughs) It doesn't mean that he was born at all. It means supreme primacy, supremacy. That he is the greatest. He's the firstborn of all creation. Means he's the greatest of all creation. So what it means, it set uses it again, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers and authorities, as things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. It uses it again. There, see, he was he was. You know, No, that doesn't mean that because he wasn't the first one to be resurrected from the dead. He resurrected people from the dead. There were people resurrected from the dead in scriptures, many, many people before Christ. So that can't mean that if you just use a little bit of deductive reasoning. But that's what they do in order to disprove the truth of the position of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. The other one that's pretty blatant is uh, what what the Mormons do to John chapter 1. And they put one, the smallest English word, they add that smallest English word to the first sentence of that, that gospel. Hey God. It says, yeah, for it, it, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't yeah. mean to
0: steal your punchline, Jack.
1: <laughs> yeah, so go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. In the beginning was the Word, the Word, and the Word was with God. And, and it says, and the Word was God. Right. The Word was God. They add a, the yeah. word was a God. And when you, when you add that word, you totally change the meaning of the passage. That was just my example.
0: Yeah, you smack me, sorry. Uh, <laughs> um,
1: so anyway, I mean, I think it's very important that we, you know, when you read that to divide the sure. word of God pr- rightly. Sure. I mean, to, the Bible says to study and to show yourself approved unto God. And so it's not just always just a flippant reading of it. Sometimes you can just read it. I think that's great to do that. But sometimes you need to study it. You need a student of the Word of God and find out what the true meaning of the Scripture is.
0: I would say that to me, the the bigger danger for the person who's really seeking after God, it it isn't as much like the Mormons Mm -hmm. or the Jehovah's Witnesses, Mm -hmm. but it's people who profess faith in Christ, Mm -hmm. but then do the Jesus plus thing or add some other thing, or they use this, this book, not as the sword of the spirit, but they use it as a weapon um, to preserve their own vision, their own worldview by piecemealing the scripture. And I think that it, it brings us to an important point that needs to be made. And that is, you know, when you're doing your own study of the scripture um. well seek some help on it um, talk to somebody that
1: yes. knows
0: the scripture or you know go to some reputable folks um, I'll just give you one a couple of examples okay um, now Dr. Michael S. Heiser H-E-I-S-E-R um He's, he passed away. He had uh, pancreatic cancer and he died. Um, well, it's been less than a year or so as we record this, but he was a guy who I fully respect for his ability to rightly divide the word of truth. And you can look him up and it's, uh, I think it's Dr. M S H dot I think is his website. That's one example. Um, Randy Alcorn, um, he, he's—I uh, forget—it's Eternal Perspectives Ministries or something like that. But you just look up Randy Alcorn; he's got a lot of great stuff. But it's about understanding the context of the scripture, and I don't just mean the context in the sense of what are the verses around it, but what did that scripture mean when it was first written. What did it mean for the people in that time period when it was written? Um, rather than us trying to add today's meaning to Scripture, let's figure out what it actually was intended to mean. Um, and that takes some study. It takes some cross-referencing. And um, even when you're doing a Bible study, uh, My wife is recently doing a study, and she says, "Well, this person in my group had a problem with this particular question." She reads the question, I'm like, "Well, it's a terrible question." You know, the 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 person who wrote the study doesn't even seem to have a grasp of what the context of that's about because they had taken some modern popular idea and tried to say, "Oh, how can you apply this to your life?" And we've talked about this before. I think the first place to start is not trying to apply the scripture to your life. Apply yourself to the scripture. Let it become a part of who you are. Um, follow after God's own heart by reading his word. And let, it is alive and living and breathing and it will breathe life into you, but you have to get into it and study it with an open heart and an open mind. And if you need to pray and ask God, which you should before you read his word, Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you through the word of truth. Um, and then read that word. Um, I mean, doesn't that make sense? Makes sense. Um, let's see here. I'm going to just say one other thing. This is just a fun quote to throw in because I always I like C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. T.S. Lewis is another great one. Just read any of his stuff. But um, if you do not listen to theology, that will not mean that you have no ideas about God. It will mean that you have a lot of wrong ideas. <laughs> so uh, it'll at least make the effort, you know, because um, I could tell you that Jack doesn't have a perfect theology. I certainly don't have a perfect theology. But um, I'm going to trust this book over my own interpretation um, because it's proven itself to me time and time again through God's Word, not because of, you know, treating it like a, a magic genie or something like that. No, it's because I could see God working through the centuries um, fulfilling His Word know one period after another
1: I would just say there's one thing in there that should be self-defined obvious and something that we should follow and do Mm -hmm. and uh, that is um, love one another as I have loved you so should you love one another And sometimes I think that we as Christians probably turn a lot of people off Mm -hmm. just by our lack of love. More judgment than we have understanding and acceptance. So that would be a danger.
0: I couldn't agree with anything anymore, Jack. I think if we're going to get one thing right, that should be it. We need to love people.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, guys, we love you. (laughs) Thanks for being with us and for listening to us. Um, I I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you through some of the things that we've said and that he certainly will speak to you through his word. Um, We'll see you next time.